Welcome to Torah Talk, a program that challenges 2,000 years of misunderstanding and neglect of the Torah, God's law. In this show, we will be threshing ideologies by examining these scriptures in their Hebraic contexts. Our goal is to separate the wheat from the chaff, the truth from misconception. This program is sponsored by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation in Thornton, Colorado. Shalom, lovers of the Torah, and thank you for choosing to listen to Torah Talk. We have a great podcast for you today. We're following up from last week. This is part two of our show. We've been midrashing on what we call the Matthew 18 principle. This principle is the basis for what is commonly known as congregational discipline. It is often misunderstood, misapplied, misrepresented by congregations and leaders who may be pure in heart but haven't spent much time in researching the context in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, nor the antecedent theology found in the Torah. In this podcast, we will give an overview of some of the fundamental aspects of disciplining a believer who is causing problems within the community of Messiah. Before we get started, I'd like to welcome back in the studio today, my co-host, Elder Randy Craig. How are you doing? Are you ready for part two? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay, good. Well, keep in mind that this is a midrash and is not to be considered as a doctrinal statement or theological treatise on the subject. We are simply wrestling with the passages to better inform you, our audience, as well as ourselves. We reserve the right to change our minds on our ideas as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Messiah. Great. So let's just jump back into uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. We worked uh, the first couple passages or verses last week. It was a great show. If you're new to this show and you didn't get this uh, first one in place, please put this one on hold, go back, listen to last week's show, and then you can just uh, run with us as we jump into this show this week. Okay, so we left off with, I think it is uh, verse 16, establishing this idea that conflicts are normally solved or resolved when two people get together in private and work through their issues. People are more, more apt to work through an issue if it's just one-on-one. You bring someone else in and all of a sudden, you know, you got a lot of different dynamics that kind of slow that whole process down. So the idea is, is if someone has sinned against you or your brother or sister is in sin, go talk to them in private. They're much more apt to get it resolved. If it doesn't work, then you take more witnesses. And if you're the one that's on the other end and you're being confronted and really it's frivolous and the person that they bring is really just kind of a patsy or whatever, uh, you have every right to say, hold on, this isn't going to go. Uh, the direction that you're trying to take it. I'm going to appeal to the elders of the community because ultimately, if matters are not resolved, the the elders within a community are the ones responsible to handle the matter and to bring about justice and thus establish peace, reconciliation, hopefully, um, in that community. So uh, we kind of addressed that last week, and this week we're into verse 17 in Matthew 18. And it says, but if he refuses to listen to them, this is after you've brought witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to Messiah's community. And if he refuses to listen even to Messiah's community, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. So the first part of uh, verse 17, 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to Messiah's community. So we have that scenario where a person's been confronted. They refuse to listen. So then finally the elders are brought in. The elders judge the case. They lay out what needs to take place. And the person says, no, I'm still not going to do that. I, 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 am, I am basically going to say no to the eldership in this community and not be responsive to them. Um, at that point, it says, tell it to Messiah's community. What does that look like? I mean, and, and what is the purpose of that? Midrash with me. It is hard to describe what it looks like because we see it so infrequently uh, practiced. Um, and uh, it points out um, it, what's it look like and what to do. It points out that it, as a reminder, we need to do this process with the ultimate view of reconciliation. Yes. In your introductory comments, you, com- you, uh, you spoke of the context and the uh, foundation of this particular passage. And the, some of the verses preceding this had to do with forgiveness. And so the forgiveness is the context of implementing this process. And the process is meant for the purpose of correcting a wrong and reestablishing fellowship. Yes. And it could involve restitution, for instance. Yes. In other words, when the elders look at the case and they listen to both sides, they're going to lay out, you know what, this is what needs to be done. And you even shared in a previous example of that, where, where both parties, once the parents were involved, both parties had a measure of correction. And it's true because no one's 100% right and the other person's 100% wrong. It's more complicated than that. Uh, but the elders helped sort through that with the goal being reconciliation. But if the person says, no, I'm not going to listen to you. And then, and then the elders are involved and they say, no, I'm not going to listen to the elders. Then the elders say, okay, well, we're going to take it to the community and let the community know, uh, you know, what a stubborn, stubborn, um, self-centered individual you are and that this is a big problem. And we're going to basically pull you in on the carpet in front of the community. Now I'll tell you why that doesn't happen. And you, you, you know, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, try to do that, you'll get sued. You'll lose your community. If pastors and elders actually did this, they'd be sued by most. Because today, like Israel of old, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Everyone's their own prophet, priest, and king. And in America, man, I'll tell you what the answer is to everything. Lawsuits. You know, so it is. And, and pastors and elders, they just shake in their boots. Directors shake in their boots when it comes to trying to discipline anyone because of that phenomenon. And I think it would do well for us to return and look at what it means to be a messianic Torah honoring community. And in order to do that, you're going to have to create the structure for that. And part of that structure is going to be bylaws that make your organization a private versus a public organization. And then those who want to be part of it would sign a membership application in which they are actually agreeing to give their consent to this process of discipline, waiving their rights to sue in a civil court um, if they don't get their way in your ecclesiastical court. And that's one of the ways that you can actually establish this and run your congregation and have harmony and peace and some protection against the wolves and the rebels who want to just kind of do whatever they want to do and not be accountable. That's one of the ways we do that. That's what we do in our community. And, and it works well, you know, um, not that we resolve every conflict, but the conflicts we don't resolve due to, to 
Someone saying, I just refuse to be responsive. We have the mechanisms to move them out now and not worry about a lawsuit. And we've done that. We've done that. We have had, we have had our run-ins with wolves and rebels, and we've moved them along. And we have never been sued, praise God, partly due to what we put together based on the Torah. And, and I thank God for that. I thank God for that. I think most communities would have been sued doing what we did. We run them out. And we, we have a good thing in pl uh, place to protect our community from not only the wolves and the rebels, but from the backlash of those wolves and rebels when they think about, well, I'll just sue that community. Well, you should have you read your membership uh, application. We've, we've had to share that with people that had threatened lawsuits with us. We had to say, well, actually, you might want to read what you signed, especially the waiver in there, because that ain't going nowhere. You know, and any good attorney looking at that would say, sorry, this thing's dead in the water. You're not able, you're not going to be able to sue them, you know. And so, uh, yeah, so I think that has been a, a real safety mechanism for us. It's interesting to hear you, you describe that because um, in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, in Acts, um, I think it's in Acts 18 as well, uh, Paul was attending a synagogue. Uh, a lot of people believed, including the synagogue le leader, they eventually moved next door mm -hmm. due to the resistance, uh, and they formed their own bet den and yeah. began. And then the a new synagogue leader was approached who took them to court for what they were doing. Uh, Paul's defense was, I haven't disobeyed the Torah. The judge at that point in hearing that said, I'm not interested in the Torah, and he kicked them all out. He, yeah. he thought it was a civil yeah. deal but once he found out that it was a religious thing they got it was dropped yeah amazing yeah and so it's just a good example of uh, in the scriptures of the very thing i hear you describing yes now now here's the deal um i think i think we're more apt to behave ourselves and to right wrongs that we commit when there's mechanisms in place to bring other people into the loop to deal with us and ultimately to be brought up before the entire community and exposed in terms of what we did. I'm much more apt to watch my P's and Q's behave myself, honor other people around me when those mechanisms are in place. It really does begin to quell those who would uh, injure and create division in a congregation uh, to, to be brought up in front of the community. That's like, wow. Yeah. You got my attention. What do I need to work on again? Yeah. I want to work on that. So that's found also, uh, I think in Deuteronomy 1919, well, it goes on to say in this passage, if they won't listen to Messiah's community, if they tell the whole community, I don't even care, go fly, kite, you know, then, then actually you can say you're no longer welcome here and you can move them out. In fact, you're to remove them from that local community, which represents, by the way, sacred space. That's holy space. That's the realm of heaven there. And you're to move them out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 to, to hand that person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, take him out of the domain of the sacred where there's protection and put him in the realm of the dead, the realm of Satan, the realm of darkness, and let him swim in those waters. And who knows what's going to happen to his physical life as a result of that, but put him out there. We have that opportunity to do that with those who are just reckless and stubborn in their ways. We can move them out, and then we're to treat them 
is if they're a pagan and a tax collector. In other words, we no longer fellowship with them. You know, we, we, we basically say you're outside the community of faith. Even though you're a child of God, since you're acting like a child of the devil, if that's the way you want to act, then you get to live in that realm apart from us, and we're no longer going to fellowship with you. I, I think that has deep, deep impacts on a person's psyche and, and on their, on their uh, social experience that are uh, designed, of course, to wake them up. I think it's very effective. Do you think that goes too far, though? Uh, what, what? No, and I think it would be, I know I, I do not think it goes too far, and I think it would be m- even more effective if we had in place some of the things you're describing, where there are communities actually working together yes. uh, uh, in a bigger you context. Know, be, be, before we go there, because that's right on, that is spot on. Before we go there, I just want to say, um, you know, People are like so, they're like, everyone's like so, I don't know what it is. We're like the cupcake generation, you know. It's like, what? Don't you dare put anyone out. That is so cruel. That is like so harsh. You know, if you if you make that person leave out, we don't care, you know, what he's doing here. It doesn't even matter. That's too much. And if you do that, we're all leaving. You know, it's almost it's almost like, you know, trying, trying to lead a community today and establish, uh, uh, you know, justice almost impossible with this generation it's I like have, give me a break yeah, yeah. yeah go go ahead go ahead well i was going to say just uh in in what you're saying uh, having been in this congregation for uh, five or six years um th- i've seen this in practice in operation yeah and just for the benefit of those of you in the audience it's only i've only seen it happen once in the last six years so yeah. what pastor mark is saying is important but due to the fact that there's a, a fastidious in researching and a caution in doing this, there's only been one case in the last six years. Yes. Lest yes. you think in the audience that this is just a hammer <laughs> that drops quickly. It's really not. It's, it's one that's used very cautiously, but I believe biblically. Yeah. But when we do do it, when we have to move all the way through all of these phases of conflict resolution and finally to the one where we say you're no longer welcome in this community— we always lose a, a, a group of people who are going to champion the cause of that rebel, champion the cause of that stubborn one who just refuses to listen to anyone and work through their issue. And it's like, I cannot, I, I'm just astonished that that even happens. But in Deuteronomy 19.19, it says this, well, actually, the, the, what they're dealing with in Deuteronomy 19.19 is stoning the person. That if this is a, 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 a sin that's a capital sin and, and ultimately the person uh, is unrepentive, ultimately you stone them. That's how you remove them from your midst. And so it says, so you will purge the evil from your midst. Deuteronomy 19.19, verse 20. Those who remain will hear and be afraid. They will no longer do such an evil thing as this in your midst. Your eye must not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And I just want to say, when people say, what? You know, uh, uh, you know this person who has uh, been a gossiper, divisive, uh, pitting the com- people in the community against each other to the point where people are leaving the community. What well, you would actually say they're no longer welcome here. That's too much. That's too harsh. I'm thinking, 
too much, too harsh. What? No. If I took a stone and hit him in the head, yeah, that's pretty harsh. That, yeah, that's, that's a little bit overboard. We're talking about just saying to someone, you're not welcome here as long as you're a wrecking ball and hurting so many people in the community. That is nothing. And yet people get all worked up. They think, oh, you're heavy-handed. I'm thinking, grow up, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Cupcake. You know, it's, come on, this is the real world, you know. You got to do what's right to safeguard the community. So I'm just, I am, I'm just shocked that you, that you can't even take a person who's a wrecking ball and, and, and dividing and bringing a congregation, congregation down. You can't even through a plurality of leaders address that, move that person out without having a commensurate uh, uh, small group of people say, we're leaving too. I'm just shocked. I am. I just, I do. I have to, yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, you have to laugh because crying's the only other option. Well, you know, you've touched on something here too. That's um, on a, along a different note. This eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is frequently misquoted, particularly by opponents of yes. biblical uh, living. And in reality, that verse in this context is used in the context of witnesses, yes, who are false witnesses who are trying to. Uh, initiate a process against somebody that's going to hurt them. Yes. And so this this verse is saying, look, you false witness, what you want done to the accused is what's going to happen to you. Yes. Uh, it's a it throws a different light on that verse. That's right. That's right. And, and and the verse when it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know what it's saying is this that whatever that process calls for in terms of restitution. It has to match the crime or the allegation, you know, so, so it has to be an exact restitution so that there's justice. And, and of course, if you're coming up with a false accusation that would result in this type of restitution, that's what happens to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great point. Great point. Um, great. All right. So, so let me just, um, let me just say this too, you know, um, there's different levels of discipline within the body. And it goes all the way up to being like removed from your leadership positions, you know, where you get benched for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know, sidelined or whatever. You get time to think about what you've done. It's kind of a spiritual timeout, you know, uh, up, up to and including, um, you know, being removed from the community for a season, um, even being under a disfellowship where, where, where we ask the entire community, do not fellowship with, with this person uh, while they are. Uh, under discipline to an excommunication where actually you're, you're saying not only you're not welcome here, you're not welcome in the body of Messiah. That, that's a, that's a much larger, uh, and, 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 you know, that's, that's, that, that's about as serious as it gets. It does. That's the end of the road. Um, under Messiah, there's grace upon grace. So we don't stone or kill people, of course. Uh, but there is a putting out, which is the net effect of a stoning to where they're no longer part of the community mm-hmm. until they repent. Um, we, we've done, we've never done an excommunication, but we've done a disfellowship. In fact, we've done like, I think two disfellowships in 20 years. So we are very, very slow. We don't do this very often. Um, and, and it's always done by a plurality of elders, skilled men who are elders and, or ordained, uh, in ministry. And so we're very, very slow. We, we, we try to err on the side of grace and, uh, but we've had to do this and we, we took one couple years ago, uh, they were elders in our community, uh, or the, 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 the brother was an elder. He was ordained. Um, his wife was also ordained in ministry 
and they were as high as you could get in our organization. They had the privilege of, of that level of leadership. And uh, things broke down, and there were some problems. Uh, they, we tried to address that, and we ended up implementing Matthew 18 and started that process. And we even repeated the process and started over at a given point, just trying to err on the side of grace. And amazingly, not only did they say, no, we will not you know, respond to this process or the plurality of elders, uh, we're going to continue on this path, and we're going to try to gain sympathy and even get people to basically leave your community. Um, and so we ended up disfellowshipping them. Now, the shocking thing was um, in the body of Messiah, there's not a lot of unity in terms of the Messianic movement. And so other communities didn't really, like normally, they're not very responsive to these kind of scenarios. And so uh, uh, this couple went to another congregation that uh, we called and had dialogue with, with their leadership. And we said, please do not take them in, you know. Well, they did. Not only did they take them in, they promoted them in a short period of time, in spite of being disfellowshipped, and under the, the, the pall of a disfellowship, the reproach of a disfellowship, put them in as elders. We were shocked. It lasted about one year, which is a very, very short run at eldership, by the way, in any community, before that couple basically left that community hanging too. And then they went on, that couple, to start their own congregation. It struggled for about six months. And it basically ended, I think, within the first year. It just, you know, it never, ever got established. And then they went on to another community. And I'm telling you, to this day, it's been years, to this day, they have not reemerged in, in terms of their calling and the anointing on their life in terms of ministering the body of Messiah. And I think it's because God's saying, hey, you got a big problem here. You need, you need to go get this resolved before I restore you to ministry. And so, you know, we've watched this process all along. We see the value of it. But like you stated a few minutes ago, uh, Randy, until other communities really get the bigger picture of how this is supposed to work, um, you know, it's really hard to implement discipline. Because when you say, look, you're out, it's not really a big hit as long as you can go to the next Messianic congregation and do whatever you were doing in the previous one. And that's what people do. And so until we can resolve that, it's, it's not as effective as what it could be. And that's what we need to move towards. Absolutely. And even if you're in an area where there's no organized Messianic community, but there are house churches, there's uh, the admonition for the leaders of the house churches to get together and work together. Yes. Uh, and it's good training for all of us. It's, uh, it's like training that, you know, there's a picture bigger than us. Yeah out there and uh the more we can come together uh as communities uh within a geographic area and beyond well then the more effective we're going to be in living out the the lifestyle of a believer that we're called to do yes that's right you know uh house churches very significant points um every house church should have an established elder an elder who answers to some higher power uh so that so that uh, every elder, every per I believe we're all supposed to be in authority and under authority at any given point in our lives. 
And so, you know, a, a credible house church is a house church that has an actual appointed elder that represents them. And then that elder should answer to uh, two or more other elders, maybe in a house church network, where if that elder in that community is getting abusive, those members can appeal to his authorities that can look into the matter and straighten it out if there is any abuse or whatever. But they would straighten that out. That's so important. And, and what this does, if we can network together and, and recognize that we're all part of the body of Messiah, then those rebels and troublemakers and wolves, they don't have nowhere to go anymore. Because if you get kicked out of, of Messianic Group A, you can't run to Messianic Group B. Because Messianic Group B is saying, hey, would you give me a letter of referral from your previous community? We just want to make sure you're safe and not a runner or a wolf. All of a sudden, they can't get into these communities anymore. We're able to squeeze out the rebels and the troublemakers and the divisive ones who are just up to no good. Wow, what a, that would be such a great day. I long for that day. We have so many Messianic communities in the Front Range, but we're all just kind of like independent and not working together. And uh, we need to resolve that for the sake of the people, for the sake of, of, the, of the people of God in our communities. We really need to work towards that. So Amen. let's kind of wind Amen. this down. Uh, we have this process that Yeshua uh, um, gives us in Matthew 18 that's predicated on 1,500 years of tradition and application of the texts that were given to us by Moses, primarily in Exodus and then later in Deuteronomy. So so a conflict takes place, uh, uh, there's no resolution, so witnesses are brought in, the elders are brought in, still no resolution, it brought, it's brought to the Messianic community, and, uh, and then, and then uh, nothing, nothing is resolved. So finally, the judges then, which in this case are elders in, in an ecclesiastical setting, the elders then have to come up with a ruling that brings about justice for that community, which then makes sense of these passages that, that we read at the beginning of the last show. Amen, I tell you, whatever you forbid on earth will have been forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. Elder Randy, tell, talk to me about this idea of... of Allowing uh, or permitting and uh, forbidding or binding. Um, what's that a reference to again? Well, you know, um, first, maybe it might be um, helpful to say what it's not yes. in the course of trying to define what it is. Yes. Uh, the context here is not speaking of the authority we have in Yeshua, which we do have. Yes. Uh, and it's not speaking of spiritual warfare, which we do engage it's speaking more in an ecclesiastical sense, more in a judicial sense. Um, and so that's the context. And it has to do with the, the halakhic rulings. Yes. Uh, which you can the explain that. Yeah, the government just don't. And the halaha basically is how do we walk out our faith? What's the, what's the correct way to do that? And so when Yeshua spoke this, he was speaking to a community that would have understood this. Yes. But uh, for us in the West, it's helpful. The dialogue 
and to reconnect with the foundation for this, uh, for this statement by Yeshua so we understand it in its proper context. Yes. Binding and loosing are judicial terms. They relate to making rulings that govern the community. And so it makes sense when you see the larger context of this passage and the antecedent theology from the Torah that what he's saying is this. Uh, uh, amen, I tell you, whatever you bind, and the, and the you are the elders of that community, that that community has appointed. They represent the community. Whatever you bind on earth will be will have been forbidden or bound in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. This is a bet din in a local community. It's just, a, I just love this. Verse 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now, in order to have um, a healthy, strong bet den in a community, it has to be a plurality of elders. Um, and, and typically, traditionally, you have to have three. Yeshua says, if two of you agree on anything, if two of you make a ruling in a community, that's good enough because I'm there in your midst. Because Yeshua is there in their midst, that's the third one. That's the third one. That's why he says, if two or more, I'm there in your midst. But you need a minimum of two. Why? Because as the third one, you have that authentic uh, bet din that you need of, of, of at least three judges. And he's saying, I'm there in your midst. I will help you make this decision. And then that decision is binding on that community. That community is responsible to step up and abide by that, whether they agree with it or not, because there are no perfect rulings. But you're, you're to abide by that or there's no peace. There's no harmony whatsoever. And so this is what Yeshua has given to us. It's beautiful. It's impactful. It's efficient. If communities can embrace this and establish it and extend it on a regional level or a citywide level, you can bring peace not only in local communities, but, but in an entire city. You can bring peace within those communities and between those communities. And so this comes back, of course, to the opening passages in Shoftim that we've been looking at. Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. Judges and officers, you are to appoint within all your gates that Adonai your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they are to judge the people with righteous judgment. You are not to twist justice. You must not show partiality or take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and distorts the words of the righteous. Justice, justice, you must pursue so that you may live and possess the land that Adonai your God is giving to you. Again, both in Deuteronomy uh, 16 and then later in 19, we have the principles that lay the foundation for what Yeshua gives us in Matthew 18. Amen. Yes, and that's essential for all house churches, for all Messianic communities to establish and abide by if they want to have the ability to resolve conflict and keep the peace in a community, which you and I know is necessary in order to have peace and harmony. This whole, this whole topic of conflict resolution is a hot topic in our culture as well as in Messianic yes. communities. In fact, to see the importance of it, all you have to do is look in the corporate world where they have people specially trained, teams that come into corporate settings to help bring resolution to conflicts. And so I think if you hear the heart of this Midrash, what you will hear is 
let's be different from the world. Yes. God has provided for us a way to, to carry out this process in a way that really does work within our communities. We have the provision in Matthew 18 and in the Tanakh or in the Torah uh, to do this, let's be different. Let's live according to the Word of God. Yes, that's great. That's great. Well, with, with that, let's conclude this program for this week. A special thanks to our great King, Yeshua the Messiah, our listeners and supporters for making this podcast possible through your prayers and financial giving. Thank you. Know that in your prayers and giving, you are partnering with us to, ad, uh, to advance the kingdom of Messiah in Israel, the United States, and throughout the world. We are a highly rated and listened to Messianic podcast on iTunes under the category of Judaism. Please subscribe now, pray with us, give financially, and share the vision and power of this podcast with everyone you know. I just want to say, Randy, we get people that give us uh, money um, as a result of these podcasts. Sometimes we get you know people that might write a check for 20 or, or $30. Uh, we get uh, checks in for hundreds of dollars. We get checks in for thousands of dollars. Uh, but together, uh, those that give a little and those that give a lot together, it makes it possible for us to do these podcasts. And when you pray for us, maybe you can't give. Maybe you're just a prayer warrior that's praying for us. Oh, we need that. We need that because through those prayers and financial support together, you are part of Torah Talk and you are making a difference. This goes everywhere, both in Judaism and in Christianity. It's having a big impact. Thank you for helping us and being a part of what God is doing through us in this podcast. Baruch Hashem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm your host, Pastor Mark. And until our next show, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Shalom. Torah Talk has been brought to you by The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation located at 8891 Hose Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado. Your host has been Pastor Mark McClellan. Join us for Sabbath services at 1 p.m. next Saturday afternoon. For more information, please call us at 303-761-9948 or visit our website at www.graftedin.com. God bless you and shalom.